What's up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called Mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama's Day with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the Mommy Collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Hello and welcome to episode two of Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. I'm really excited. Of course, you know, I was like, what am I going to talk about for episode two? Like, I'm so psyched now. I have all these ideas. But as the universe always does, it sent me a message. And I had a couple girlfriends talk about how great it was in one way or another to connect with girlfriends, to talk about not only what we're going through as moms, but what we're going through as humans in this crazy, crazy time. So it made me think, you know, back to when I first found out I was pregnant, like, (laughs) what's happening? We've discussed this before. I was in complete shock. Like, I had no plans of it. I didn't, like, I wasn't one of those women that's like, I can't wait to be a mother. I just, I just was not. We're all different. Some of us grow into it. Some of us have those like nagging pains of, I must be a mommy. Well, I didn't, but that's okay because God always has a plan, y'all. I knew I had a career to have. I knew I had loves to have. I knew I wanted to accomplish things. But as far as being a mother, just wasn't on the list. So you can imagine my shock when I was like, uh, say what? And, uh, (laughs) Here's what I pretty much thought at the get-go, like, oh, I'm screwed. Like, I'm a single girl, like, getting it, like, I'm having a great time. I'm partially, marginally successful. I'm on flights every other day. Like, a a quick, like, quick example of my life, full-fledged working, babe, is, you know, flying on on a red-eye to New York, working all day, going to the Met Ball that night, sleeping, partying, getting packing, sleeping, then getting on a plane the next morning, going right back to work. Like that was nothing. (laughs) That was nothing. And I didn't sleep that much. And it was like, this is my life. But then, you know, the universe intervened and there she was. But I knew I was really screwed because I didn't have not one mother friend in Los Angeles where I lived. Not one. Not one person I can go, I can call and be like, so this breastfeeding girl, (laughs) not one person. So I, I really spent the end of my pregnancy going inward. Like I barely told people I was pregnant until it was exposed by Oprah. That's a whole other story. We'll get there later. But it was so sacred that time. It's like no time can you unapologetically, well, up until that point in my life, there had never been a time where I can say, everybody leave me alone, right? And I don't have to have an, a, a reason for it. Like I was nesting and I became a great nester like preparing the house for the baby, 
ordering whatever I had to for all the clothes that she already had before she got here that were given to us by aunties and friends and grandparents and brothers and, you know, cousins building that, putting carpet on the stairs because they suddenly became a death trap. (laughs) You know, the hardwood floors and my stairs, we no longer live there. And just preparing my mind and my body and my soul for this next chapter that was baby. (laughs) So once she was born, I was on the hunt because when I was pregnant, I read a whole bunch of stuff, all these blogs. And I'm like, that's just, this doesn't seem like me. And I don't know how to be that person. So I'm going to have to figure out mommyhood on my own. I'm going to have to ask friends of friends of friends. I'm going to have to find some groups. I found Mocha Moms. I joined them. Greatest time. Oh my God. Let me tell you, first of all, you think they're mamas. These mamas like to party. (laughs) Do not underestimate a mom. Just because we're moms does not mean we forgot how to have a good dang time. That's right, mamas. I hear you. Mamas are going, and I see y'all twerking out there going, that's right. We get downs. (laughs) So I felt like I was at home. I'm going to be honest. I was like, okay, these are my people. And the more that my daughter aged and she got older, the broader my mommy cruise became. The more different mommy tribes I had, each one serving an incredible purpose, each one different. Once I got to preschool, it was very diverse mommy groups. Cool. And I became very good friends with with some. And beyond giggling together about how crazy our kids are or clinking, you know, cocktail glasses because we're having a play date, but mommy's, you know, cocktails on the side. Don't judge. Or, oh, that's a cute mommy outfit. Because you know you got mommy outfits. Outside of all that, there comes a time if you be, you spend enough time with somebody where you start talking about real life. You start talking about what the world is going through and that it's kind of crazy. And you really get down to deep understanding of not only somebody else's thought processes, but who they are as people. I really fed off of this. For those of you who have been following me for a while, you know that I have produced a couple series where I put women of different backgrounds together, discuss really hard, hard topics. These are uncomfortable conversations. I've always said, we're not going to get anywhere as a culture unless we get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You can even go on my Instagram. The whole series, Take a Seat, is actually there now. If you go into my IGTV series, you can go down to Take a Seat and check out the six episodes. I think that you'll find them very interesting. We had American Indian. We had East Indian. We had two white women that represented two different sort of sides of the issues. We had a mixed black woman raised by a white mom. We had a mixed black woman raised by a black mom and then myself, black with two black parents. It's fascinating conversations about institutional racism and where you are as a culture. Well, as now my daughter's seven and I now have mommy friends going on seven years, some of them, six or seven years. Wow, that's a full friendship just from being a mom. So I thought it was really cool today, um, especially with our world being as crazy as it is, 
to have a really beautiful mommy conversation with a woman that I wouldn't have been friends with had it not been for our kids who were three days apart and they went to preschool together. It kind of bonded us and we've learned so much from each other. We've had some beautiful moments of ahas, both on her side and my side. What more do you need than friends where not only do you reflect each other, not only do you laugh together, but you feed each other too. You grow from each other's presence in your life. So I wanted to invite my girl, Anne, on the pod. She's wise. She's a mommy. She's a Reiki. She's a healer. She's now a doula. And she's just a woman that I admire so much because she's done her work. And I say that a lot because I really do believe we all suffer from one type of trauma or another. Some type of trauma that is stunted our growth either emotionally or spiritually. If we're always students, we win. We must always be students and realize that we don't have all the answers. Let's learn from each other. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my girlfriend, Anne. Anne, welcome. Tanika, thank you for having me. I mean, when I think about my new podcast, Mama Stay with Tanika Ray, <laughs> I've got to tap into my mommy tribe, especially those who are living, they've done their work. They have figured out what keeps them aligned with source universe. What is the best way for them to rock through the world, not just as women, but as moms. I know it's a lot. Just just what we do on a daily basis is so much. I'd love for you to share with people your journey to where you are now in a nutshell, growing up in Denver, Colorado or outside of Denver, the greatest changes that you've made, the shifts that you've made to be the mom that you are today. Okay. I am originally from Boulder, Colorado. I still go home to the same house that I grew up in. I love my neighborhood. I was a shoeless kid. I did everything as shoeless as possible. And I had a creek growing up like a block from our house. And the foothills was basically our backyard, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And I had neighborhood friends whose houses we could just go walk into. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate to having a community of people who take care of each other and really show up for each other. And that's the hope that we all have and that we're all creating, right? So I think that is the the foundation of what my mommying comes from. And I really realized the importance of being able to explore the world in safe environments without having a ton of parental control. Oh, yeah. So like when you when you get a chance as a child to explore the world and fall and scrape your knee and get in fights with your friends and you don't have your parents to negotiate all of it for you, you learn so much, you know, and I don't like send your kids out into the world and, and don't, don't look out after them, you know, (laughs) but there's something about, you know, having the freedom to be in nature and have fun and create games and create imagination and also have to pick yourself up after realizing that you can hurt your ankle if you jump from a tree at 
or whatever. So that, I think that is a pretty, in a nutshell, that's the core of who I am as a mom. I really like to give my kids freedom to explore and we name our boo-boos. So if something happens, like I think one of my favorites was Skylar's, she named this scratch on her knee that was like, and then this round piece right here, she named it the bloody meteor. And I was like, you are genius. But there's something about that. That's just like, you know, they'll hurt themselves. And I go, yep, you're alive. And congratulations. (laughs) And so I try to remind myself of that when I get hurt in the world, I'm like, yep, I'm alive. There's so much to being human. So I moved to LA to become an actress. It was something that I didn't necessarily think I was going to do growing up. I wanted to be a teacher and follow in my steps. He was elementary school teacher and really just phenomenal at it. But then I realized that I don't like fluorescent lighting and I didn't like the school system. So that wasn't going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I ended up out here. I mean, that's a whole nother story, but In terms of getting to where I'm at, I met somebody playing basketball who I ended up becoming friends with and then dating and then breaking up with and then being friends with and then dating and then breaking up. And (laughs) the boomerang of our relationships, right? We've all been there. Yeah. So for, for 20 years, we have been negotiating a friendship that has cultivated a space for raising children in the way that we do. And we do it very uniquely, I would say. So we were on and off for 12 years before uh, Skylar was born and we weren't together when she was born and we never got married and we are a wonderful family and co-parent together, but we're not together. He just left the house just now. And he was on an IG live for, for his stuff this morning while I was doing some other things. So we really enjoy doing life together, even though we have chosen to do it a little bit differently. So we are artists. And so that is the core of foundation of my mommy. And I guess that gives you a pretty, pretty good idea. You just gave me so much. First of all, what's reverberating through my system is like, the non-invasive parenting, because I think in the black community, there's no such thing as that. Every month you do what I say, you say what I do. It's, I think that obviously stems from obviously enslavement and all of that. We're not that far out of full suppression. So parents had to keep their kids alive and that keeping their kids alive meant like real hardcore, almost corporal punishment parenting. Yeah. Right. And so as a white woman, you, you grew up in the the ultimate freedom. I mean, I would love to on mama's day with Tani Gray. I would love to meet a black person, woman, male, female who grew up barefoot and with property and with no care in the world. I think that is so beautiful to think about and what a gift really, truly. Yes, absolutely. And that that has been an interesting combination, right? Because Kevin is from Detroit, from like the center of Detroit. And that what you just explained was his experience. It's been an interesting melding of worlds coming together. Yeah, I think it's important to say if people haven't figured it out yet, your baby's father is a black man in America, which we just had a conversation that I think is so interesting because you're raising two girls that are, I don't know how they identify themselves as far as culturally, but they are of a white mom and a black dad. 
And whatever way they navigate this world is their choice, right? But there was something we were talking about that I found so fascinating, and it had to do with carrying something to a park. Will you tell that story briefly? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I'll say this. The work that we do as people who care about finding a way to change the narrative about race in this world in general. I've been doing that work for as long as I can remember because it's been in me for as long as I can remember. So I want people to first understand that I don't not get these things. And yet because I'm white and I come from a different place and I came from a world of so much freedom, I didn't even think about it. So my parents gave my oldest child a whittling knife for Christmas. And she wanted to bring it to the park because there's so many sticks and amazing things to whittle. And I said, well, you can, as long as you're with daddy, you know, you have to have parental observation as, as I talk about freedom, but, but you were just thinking just so you don't cut yourself, you got to be careful, be with your dad. Right. And so she went to ask Kevin if she could do that. And he was like, no, absolutely not. Maybe with your mom, but not with me. And I went, I, I went, what? Oh, well, it's probably not. And she was like, why? What's the, what's, what's the deal? Yeah. It's probably not a safe time to do it with all the kids around. And I just, and as she walked away, I looked at him and I said, is that a moment that you would have wanted to explain why to her? Because I give that space to him in a, a lot of, it's like, whether it's, you know, letting women talk to their girls about growing up a woman or letting fathers talk to their sons. I don't speak other than from my own very own perspective about the issues of growing up black. I let him do most of that. And so I didn't know in the moment how he wanted to do it. And so I said what I said about kids and safety and whatever. And then I said, is that a, is that a moment that you would have wanted to explain to her? And he was like, mm. and that's a tricky thing because if we're raising children to understand where we came from, where what we what we are still in, and also create a space to step into a new reality, how do you do those things? It's so tricky because, first of all, your children are free little sprites, right? They're filled with light. And you don't want to build up anything in their minds that's going to make them think otherwise. Same with me. I'm raising a fully black child and I want her to have agency over her thoughts and her body and her mind and feel free. So the more that she learns about the ugliness of the world, I'm concerned how that impacts her state of freedom. So I get how tricky that is. And I also want to applaud you for stepping aside and going, I can't enforce what my narrative is on this. Let Kevin deal with it. Because as a black man and as a black woman, I immediately was like, she can't take a knife to the park, especially being with Kevin. And and that's what's so interesting. If she went to the park with you, we wouldn't have thought two seconds about it. Nope. But it's the fact that Karens are alive and well. And if a little girl was at the park with her black dad, some jerk could just look and see a knife in his presence and call the cops. And we don't know what happens after that. Right. And that's a scary thing to try to explain to a child. Even though your children are so wise beyond their years, it's still a a place that it's like, how long can we hold off from telling them the full ugly of the world? How did you approach that during the George Floyd era? When I call that era because it was hot and heavy last summer. How did you explain that to the girls? I didn't do it with a lot of grace. 
because I was so angry. <laughs> there was a point and it, I cry, I cry about happy shit. I cry about sad shit, but I was so angry. I remember being in the car with them one night and we were talking about daddy being safe or, you know, whatever. And I, and I was upset and I, you know, I said, because he's a black man. And it was so passionate and real and heavy. And I was like, man, that wasn't very graceful at all. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of things that happen and that are very difficult to explain with grace. That was a tough one for me. That whole period of time was a real tough one for me. How did the kids come out of it? Because I know you, we have daughters the same exact age. And then we have Skylar, who is nine going on, I don't know, 37, yes. um, but, but they're so smart. These kids are just a different breed than we were. We didn't know what gay was. We didn't know about racism, but they have to download everything at such a young age. How have you seen that sort of land on them or has it not? Because it's just normal. Right. You mean uh, you, that the issue of race? Yeah, the concept of what happened to George Floyd and why you were upset, where it was like the sort of revelation of, oh, the world is like this. I had so many white moms, like I had no idea. So as you are opening up the door to your own education, your daughters too are watching you, then watching your dad, which are very different reactions, but still very charged and a lot to learn from. Mhm. I think Raina is still pretty unclear and to be honest with you, I think anybody who really understands humanity is pretty unclear mm-hmm. about what the fuck, excuse me, because it doesn't make any sense. It is a construct that was created for the gain of certain people. So to understand it is it is not understandable <laughs> because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very hard for her. When I get packages in the mail, my kids like to open them. And most of the time I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, go ahead and open it. I had a book come in the mail for my doula practice, which was called Killing the Black Body. Mm. And Raina opened it. That could be very confusing for a child. Yeah. And she was like, what is this? And I said, oh, well, that's about birth and labor and keeping people safe in birthing. And she was like, I'm half black. And I said, yes, you are. And I, I didn't know like what else to bring, you know, and I was, I was explaining to her, you know, and I've had that book around the house and I take it with me to, to read because I'm in the process of my learning right now. And it's so uncomfortable for me to carry with me, you know? And so, you know, she had a moment there where she was like, I don't get it. I don't understand. And what does that mean? And I don't think any of us can really, really understand it because it doesn't exist, but it does. Well, that, that title is so emotional. Like what it's, especially for a seven-year-old to open and be like, what the, what do you mean? And so the, you handled that well. And then you, as she grows and she learns more, you'll be able to have really thorough, deep conversations about why black bodies need to be protected because they've never been before. And that brings me to, would you call yourself an ally? I mean, I do, or an abolitionist, which is wonderful, 
because I do think a lot more white people need to not just be anti-racist, but step into abolitionism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what we need to continue to abolish is the systems that have been put into place. And that is a reason why I stepped into working with black people or white people for black lives. They are so so active in the political aspect of things, which I'm not interested in. So where I went to with what I'm doing is how can I do it within the the systems that I've already set up in my life, which is how I chose one of the reasons why I chose to go into being a doula. Well, you're a healer. And I think that's important to say here. You have your Reiki business, you're a healer, you're a massage therapist, and that's one more weapon in your arsenal, which is to go into being a doula. It's like the ultimate healing of, of bringing a new being into the world is the most like honorable. And so I'm so proud of you. Tell me about the process to want to go into this practice. And you're very specific about what types of women you want to be a doula for. Yes, absolutely. I really do believe that whoever comes across your path happens for a reason, but intention is very strong. And I have been blessed to already start my journey with exactly what I wanted to experience and to be a part of and to be available for. And I, one of the reasons I went into being a doula is because during the pandemic, everything shut down that's physical, you know, so my massage and Reiki was like, and I thought, well, People are not going to stop having babies. <laughs> that, that's right. not gonna anything right now. They're going to have even more babies on the outcome, right? Yeah, but when I realized, you know, so I, I did a whole course with white people for Black Lives, and I still get the emails, and we get we ha- we have action points to take, calling Congress people on this specific thing, all of those pieces. Not that I am not doing it, but it's not where my heart and soul is, and so I wanted to find another way to be really active in abolitionism. Is that how how you say it? Let's make it happen. Yes. Being an abolitionist. And for me, that's in the realm of being a doula because I want to be able to step into hospitals and be an advocate for Black women who are simply birthing a baby. They should not have to be worrying about any of the things around them that are going to cause any kind of difficulties for that. And so I think there are a lot of people who don't understand, you know, the the medical system and the history and um, what is still a problem in the medical industry with women of color. And I'd like to just be able to be a support for that. I mean, that's such a powerful It has so many historical sort of tetherings. Like it's so deep to me because as people of African descent, well, the medical industry was never set up to support us, right? So even when my ancestors were enslaved, they worked until they had that baby. They worked, they squatted, they had the baby, somebody took the baby and they kept working. So the fact that it's never been regarded as a sacred time for us by the medical industry. And even in medical books, we don't experience the same pain, which is hogwash. I don't even know where I got that word hogwash. It's bullshit. We've learned to navigate the medical industry because we don't know what we don't know. But what a beautiful thing to have. And I love, because I 
for those women, I have the utmost respect for those women who are like, no, I do not need the medical. Ind- I do not need to go to a hospital, spend $12,000, <laughs> you know, spend more money, but like being a, a birthing center of comfort, of peace, of love, of nurturing. I think of hospital environments, right? Because that's what, that's where the, the allyship and the, the safety and being able to kind of support in that way. But I'd much rather, I'd much rather be a part of home births and birthing centers and those kinds of things. And I'm learning a lot myself. I wish I had gone through this training before I had had kids because there is a level of fear for most women because, I mean, it's bred into us, especially in this society, and that hospital is the best place to do it. But gosh, the beauty in doing it at home. And I mean, I'm very happy that I was able to have an epidural. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Girl, I said after giving birth, I was like, if they can make this a pill, I will be popping it every single day. Yes. But that being said, I, I was incredibly enthralled. And in terms of how, I guess that's, that's how it's changed me. It, it has given me a better understanding of how my dog is all over my children's. Ginger. But, yeah. <laughs> over there trying to chase them. Yeah. But so, you know, I was able to be in a, a couple of different births as a friend, not as a doula, but in this capacity, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's just opened me up to a whole new world of sacred passages. Mm. It's because as moms and as, as adults, we see everything that's going on. We hear the news, we see things on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook. It's so hard for me as a mom to parse that out and then be like, okay, honey, what do you want for dinner? <laughs> uh-huh. How have you been able to, are you watching TV? What are you keeping out of your life so that you can be the best mom that you can be? Yeah, I don't watch TV. I don't. I, one, have enough noise in the house when the girl... <laughs> girl, because they're both Broadway performers as far as I'm concerned. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yes, both of our, all of our babies. It never happens. This part never happens. <laughs> it's never the end note, right? It's, it's always reach for the stars. Oh my goodness gracious. We're in this girl. We're in this together. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, well, here's what, here's what happened for me. I have been pretty vocal, as you know, on issues of race and equality for a long time. But there was something that happened, and we talked about this the other night, There was something that happened, or at least I felt in my paying attention within the black community after George Floyd, that was a little less like, no, I don't feel like smiling at you today. No, I don't. And really being willing to like step up and, and not be okay with, with the white centering of everything. Right. Because that is something that has just been an unspoken thing that, the white person, whoever is the center of whatever is happening. And there was a feeling of no, no, just no. And so I was like, oh, okay. And and I felt like there was an opening for me to sit back and listen again in a new way. And so I haven't been posting and I haven't been 
active and I started to do more of my own work to continue to understand the layers of of what we have created in this country in order to and I talk about it being like like fabric and that this has been woven within us and it might not be your conscious choice to have racism be a part of your fabric but it is it just is. So my intention and the way that I think about it is to go in and find those pieces of the fabric that aren't working, the pieces of the fabric that are that, the the racism, the you know, that have been woven, the white centering, right? Because I can definitely say that once I started paying attention to that, I was like, oh, wow, I am very used to being the center when there are black people around me. That's not, that's not wrong. I didn't know that before I started paying attention to it. That is so profound. And I have goosebumps because just to be able to admit that it brings tears to my eyes because it is not an easy thing to do because of exactly what you said. And I've said something similar. It is woven into the fabric of this country and it's woven within us. And that's the one thing that I, I, I hope that people like I really I really want people to understand. And if you can shift your thought pattern to it wasn't me, I didn't do it to you. It's not my fault and shift it to this is interwoven into all of our interactions and what happens and understand that it 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 might not be you on purpose or your thought pattern, but it's woven within us. So if you can think of it that way, as opposed to, I'm not racist, that's good enough. I can step aside and I'm, I'm good because I'm not racist. It's not that. We have to, we have the opportunity to go deeper and understand, yes, when we start to pull these fabrics out and start to pay attention and realize the deeper, more layered, more nuanced pieces of it, that you really get an opportunity to grow the world in a new way. You really get the opportunity to grow what's holding all of us, because let's be honest, we are in a very tricky time right now. And as a collective, we all need to expand right now. We all need to step forward in our consciousness, but it's not, I I can't be guilty and and my ancestors can't be bad people. And so I got to figure it out without making us the best. Then you're stopping real growth. Right. Versus just accepting my ancestors may have done some evil shit. Yeah. Which allowed me to be in this comfortable place, which allowed Anne to grow up in a community without shoes, without much invasion of cops and laws and rules and to and just accept that and and to enjoy that privilege and then going forward let's fix it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep that would be the next step if you are not a part of a black family or a part of a black community if you have two or three black friends in your in your peripheral right you are a hundred percent living in a different reality 110% living in a different reality. And that was like, I think it was around Trayvon Martin for me that I really started to understand the alternate universes. I, I knew the things, you know, I, this has been important to me for a very long time, long before that, 
But it wasn't until Trayvon Martin that I started to really understand the alternate universes that we are living in at the exact same time. And, and I think there are a lot of people who didn't know. Yeah. Who didn't know. And I have a a couple white girlfriends who are doing the work. It's not easy because every, every step along the way you have to go, Oh, sucks, sucks. It sucks. But I care so deeply you know, for, for all of us that, that we're getting the, you know, opportunity to shift and change. Get in touch with Anne. She is a true ally, abolitionist, spirit, light spirit, humanist, who I just, I love you. And I so thank you for doing this today. We're both working so hard to see that our children don't have to deal with the stuff that maybe we grew up with, that we can shift the atmosphere and little baby steps. So obviously one person can't do it alone, but we have to set this collective where we are moving forward together. So thank you for being part of the collective mama. Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) And always mama stay. Mama stay. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with my mommy girlfriend, Anne. There's so many of these conversations that need to be had across the planet. The more we can look each other eye to eye and see where we are so much more alike than we are different, that's when we are moving in the right direction as a culture. I will always amplify these stories I'm so happy that you're here. Super excited to produce for you guys episode three. And I want to give a shout out to the incredible space that Anne was able to perform her first duties as a doula. It is Kindred Space in Los Angeles. Also, we want to give some love to the organization that provided financial assistance for Anne to be there for that mom. It is the Victoria Project. Thank you for doing the work that you do. And I have to, before I leave, give a shout out to my team, Jenny Media, for producing this beautiful pod and to my girl, Michelle, for being the pilot. Both of these women are piloting my heart and my soul off the ground into this podcast called Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. I am eternally grateful. Have a good one, guys. Much love and take care of yourself. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift, and you're doing a kick-ass job. So... Wusa and Mama Stay. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here at Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. Now, one of the things that's really important to me is that you always have a way to connect with me about this pod. Tell me who you want me to sit down with next, what you'd like to hear about. I'm really interested in knowing. You can email me at Mama Stay with Tanika Ray at gmail.com. Much love.